With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. It's been another long week here in D.C. Item one, President Donald Trump wants a military parade. It seems that the military, on the other hand, is not too keen on the optics of seeing tanks rolling down Pennsylvania Avenue. But over at the Pentagon, they did say to the president, look, we'll look into this and we'll get back to you with some options. How about that? Well, for now, that seems to have placated the president and we will stay on top of this story. The White House Chief of Staff John Kelly has come under fire for his defense of Rob Porter, who resigned as the White House Staff Secretary on Wednesday after his two ex-wives publicly accused him of domestic abuse. Now, the Trump administration officials are reportedly in disbelief at Kelly's defense of the staffer, and the lawmakers are demanding he explain himself or resign. Kelly, along with the FBI, apparently knew of the allegations against Porter for months. Clearly, there's more to this story, but don't look for Kelly to be gone from the White House anytime soon. We'll follow up and keep you posted. Meanwhile, after five and a half hours of a government shutdown, Congress passed a sweeping budget deal early Friday morning that will keep the doors open at federal agencies around the country and lift spending caps, giving Republicans another legislative victory, although it came at a very, very high price. Now, meanwhile, at 8.40 this morning, President Donald Trump tweeted that he had just signed the bill. I quote, our military will now be stronger than ever. We love and need our military and gave them everything and more. First time this has happened in a long time also means, in all in caps, jobs, jobs, and jobs. Now, the backstory to this was pretty fascinating. Republican Senator Rand Paul out of Kentucky and California Democratic House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi together caused this short shutdown. Now, incensed that a bipartisan budget deal would balloon the national debt, Paul delayed a roll call vote on the long-term agreement until after midnight, which then, of course, caused the government to shut down. That set into motion what ultimately lasted over just about six hours, even though Paul's protest didn't change a single word in the document, and for that matter, didn't change a single vote. Meanwhile, Pelosi rallied House Democrats against the bipartisan agreement that she herself helped write, threatening to tank the bill, which again was not tanked, passed, was again signed at 8.40 by President Donald Trump. Well, all else, All's well, excuse me. It ends well. The government is still open for business, and it's been an exhausting week. So I thought it might be nice to have a bit of humor, kind of help us out, you know, give us a little chill as we move into the weekend. Well, our guest is Jeremy Newberger. He's a political satirist, a documentary film producer, and a must-follow on Twitter at Jeremy Newberger. He will join me 
and we will hopefully make some sense of the week that was. Hey, but first, I want to tell you about a podcast that you need to add to your collection alongside our Politically Incorrect podcast. It's called Deep Dish from the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Now, we know that you love our podcast, and since you are a politically savvy person, that means you need to subscribe to the Deep Dish on Global Affairs. Now, Deep Dish is a weekly podcast going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. Each week, Deep Dish serves up fresh guests to help you digest the news of the world. Now, just like our podcast, they have top name guests like the NATO ambassador to explain Russian aggression. They had a Navy admiral chart up the competition in South China Sea. A White House economist broke down NAFTA negotiations and a Korean expert analyzed the nuclear threat from North Korea. So here's what we want you to do. Subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs to have the hottest intel delivered right to your phone or tablet every week, okay? So we have the link on our page. Click on it and get Deep Dish on Global Affairs sent to your phone or your tablet every week, just like you do with the Politically Incorrect podcast, okay? I know you're going to love their podcast almost as much as you love ours. Well, Jeremy, my friend, a proposed military parade, another scandal in the Oval Office, and a mini shutdown. Hey, just another week in Washington. How about your thoughts on the week that was here in D.C.? Well, you know, I'm, I know the government shutdown was averted, but I'm still reading the 700-page spending bill. I'm mm-hmm. on page 34. I got to say, it's not a page turner. It's kind of like uh, Fifty Shades of Raytheon Company. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think anyone's read it really in, in its entirety. So it's almost uh, a lampoon to have, you know, this huge vote about it. And some of what Rand Paul was saying was right. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just then you remember it's Rand Paul, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I'm agreeing yeah. with him. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah so. I, I'm stand, I stand with Rand occasionally, uh-huh. uh, but mostly I'm, I'm standing you know, away from Rand or <clears throat> away from his lawnmower, whatever is easier. Right. You don't want to get in trouble. Um, you know, I, I think that a little inside baseball here for those of you who have not seen these bills and how it works, the staff... You know, there's 17, let's say you said 700 pages in the one. You have a three-page tear sheet. That tear sheet summarizes what is in the document, which has been read by your staff. So your staff gives you this. It's a summation. It's like a cliff note version of the 700, you know, words. Here's where they are. There's also sometimes if there are important sections in the bill, they give you references, say, you know, you're going to probably be asked about, page 643 of the bill. So you go back and you read page 643. These bills are seldom read by the lawmakers in totality, Um, but the staff has to know everything, so they they put these cliff note versions to them. Uh, So yeah, yesterday was basically, you know, each side got a little bit of something. Uh, The far right of the party, the folks who identify themselves as you know, used to call them Tea Party. Now they are the Freedom Caucus, aren't pleased. And on the Democratic side, the uh, progressives who wanted DACA tied to it, they're not pleased either. But the government moves on at least in, until March. And uh, 
we move next week into the DACA situation. But uh, it's been kind of a black eye this week. I don't know. You'd like to hear your thoughts about General Kelly and this whole inside the uh, Oval Office situation. Well, black eye was a nice uh, segue you did there. Uh, but mm-hmm. the uh, the the Kelly thing reminds me of uh, Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. You know, when they're recruiting uh, criminals and rogues for the right. for the posse, you see a long line of like thugs and right. you know banditos from Mexico and KKK mm-hmm. guys and you know biker dudes. That Thanks. seems to me the like hiring practices of this White House. So. <laughs> You want wife beaters? We got them. You want, you know, right. Russian moles? Yeah, sure, they're there. You know, uh, reality stars? Yeah, more than one. And that is the continuous, uh, you know, drama of the White House. And that's why there's so many firing and uh, hiring and refiring going on. And it seems like there's no uh, measurement of good taste in terms of, you know, your your resume or your prerequisite to work there. Uh, you can commit all sorts of crimes, uh, and as long as there's no photographic proof of it, you're okay. And then as soon as someone produces a photo or, you know, a recording, uh, that's when all of a sudden they go into damage control. You know, and, and I recall the narrative of John Kelly when he came in. Uh, you know, there was... Uh, uh, a lot of the sort of more moderate conservatives who were sort of saying, oh, well, this is good. There's an adult in the room. And, you know, even a lot of Democrats were sort of agreeing, okay, you know, maybe this is a good a good person to put in, you know, crazy Trump's uh, administration. But then, you know, it, you have to question the person's judgment for going to work for Trump in the first place. And if the narrative is he's going there because he doesn't want the country that he loves and has served so much to to blow up, then you expect the things he advises Trump to do or how he advises the White House will be uh, things that, you know, prevent awful crimes from being happened. And that seems to not be the case with John Kelly. He's, you know, spent the last year with this guy in his close orbit with no security clearance, you know, with a history of beating up his wives. And that is a serious question of the guy, John Kelly's judgment, of, you know, anyone who is aware's judgment. And I think if not for that black eye photo and that eloquent uh, ex-wife who spoke on CNN last night, mm-hmm. this would be a, another Trump media freakout that just sort of moves on to allow, pave the way for the next one. Well, you're talking, of course, to Jennifer Willoughby, who did give a very compelling argument last night on CNN. And, uh, you know, the, the whole backstory of Rob Porter was that Rob, who front shadows the president, if those of you who watch West Wing, he would be Josh. Right. <laughs> so, so that you know, um, shadowing the president. Um, the, the, the defense for Rob Porter was that he did so well at work. He was such a, you know, such a wonderful person at work. He didn't do anything, you know, he was on top of his game. Uh, The president liked him and, you know, Kelly liked him, which goes to the point of, do you honestly think he's going to walk around the West Wing whacking people when he gets mad? You know, it's like, no. No, it's ridiculous. It's It's ridiculous. I mean, you, know, you took art classes with Adolf Hitler. You think he was a great guy, right? <laughs> right. 
He draws, so, he draws so well, you know. So. <laughs> he really knows his colors. <laughs> but to your point, okay, to your point on this, okay, with Kelly, I remember, and some may or may not, a few years ago when Ray Rice hit his um, then fiance, now wife Janine, in the, in the elevator uh, of a hotel in Atlantic City. Now, at the time, Ray was told by Roger Goodell, president of uh, the NFL, commissioner, um, he was told you had a two-game suspension. As long as, you know, the thing went through the courts, Ray served his time as, which was a community service situation. He and his wife went to counseling. Ray met with... Um, Commissioner Goodell at his office in New York and said openly, there's going to be a tape where you're going to see me physically hit my wife. And Goodell said, yeah, okay. No, he said, seriously, you're going to see this tape and you're going to see me hit my wife. The conversation went on. He got the two-game suspension. So Ray, sitting there, waiting for his two-game suspension to be lifted so he can play halfback for the Baltimore Ravens. And on the week he is set to come back, good old Harvey and the boys at TMZ drop tape two, where you actually physically see it. Now, before Ray got the practice on Tuesday, the NFL said suspended him indefinitely and the Ravens caught him. Had that tape never come out, it's quite possible that Ray Rice could still be playing football in the National Football League. 100%. So to your point on the on the White House staff situation, do you honestly believe, regardless of what, you know, or how eloquent, you know, the the Jennifer Willoughby's, yeah, Jennifer Willoughby's uh, testimony on Anderson Cooper, I guess it would be uh, her interview on Anderson Cooper. Without that picture and that uh, putting a face to the what happened, I don't think Rob Porter would be out of a job. No, of course not. Of course not. I think you need photo or video proof. It can't even just be audio, uh, as we learned from the Access Hollywood tape. Right. It has to be photos, has to be videos. I mean, it, it, it can't just be women either. Because right. nobody listens to women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Multiple women come out and say, hey, Bill Cosby raped me. And there's still a question. The guy's still on tour. You know, mm-hmm. multiple women come out and say, Donald Trump sexually assaulted me and he gets elected to president. Mm-hmm. If there's video and tape, uh, it becomes harder to dispute. Not impossible, but harder to dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. I, I make video and films for a living. It's very right. compelling. It's very compelling. So I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sad about that, about the NFL. And uh, I find that major sports organizations don't have the best judgment. <laughs> I mean, not just that specific case, but I mean, look no. at the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, how many poor young girls were athletes were abused by that disgusting doctor and how many people knew about it and just let it go? I mean, well, there are 256 
uh, estimated there was a hundred and 147, I believe, uh, that testified at Larry Nasser's trial. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, and it took, by the way, that story that was written by the Indiana Star um, that outed what was going on was spiked five years ago. Right. So right. it's taken five years for that story to get back into the main and, uh, don't Jim, I'm a huge started. advocate of press, of mm-hmm. journalism. I mean, I'm a I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm sort of like mm-hmm. a you know a, a second cousin to to journalism because mm-hmm. you know I take six years to make a you know an hour and a half film uh, that tries to expose or you know bring mm-hmm. truth or spread shed light uh, mm-hmm. versus guys who are you know reporting stories every day. Uh, but every single one of these revelations, whether it's you know, what happened in Washington or what happened with the Olympics or what happened with Mm -hmm. the head of uh, FIFA or what happened with, you know, uh, in the NFL is always because there's a reporter who's doing Mm -hmm. their job. Uh, So, you know, that's not lost on me for sure. Let's step aside for a second. You know, I want to tell you about a podcast that you need to add to your collection along with the Politically Incorrect podcast. It's called Deep Dish from Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Now, we know, since you listen to our podcast, that you're very politically savvy, but you need to subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs. Deep Dish is a weekly podcast that goes beyond the headlines on critical global issues. Each week, Deep Dish serves up fresh guests to help you digest what's going on around the world. Now, just like us, they have the top name guests have people like a NATO ambassador who explained the Russian aggression, a Navy admiral who charts the competition in the South China Sea, a former White House economist who breaks down NAFTA negotiations, and a Korea expert who analyzes the nuclear threat from North Korea. Now, we want you to subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs. They have the hottest intel, and it's delivered right to you each week. So take the time to go and to subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs. That's Deep Dish on Global Affairs. You like our podcast, you'll love this one too, okay? We're continuing our conversation with Jeremy Newberger, who is a political satirist, obviously a well-known documentary filmmaker and must follow on Twitter, Jeremy. Uh, General Kelly, it doesn't seem to me that uh, his job is in dire straits at this point in time as chief of staff. They really don't have a very deep bench over there. So for now, I think Kelly's going to be safe. Your thoughts? The spinal tap drummers, the uh, (laughs) chiefs of staff for Trump, (laughs) you know, they drop like flies. And you know what? Whoever they get next is not going to be any better. It's going to be someone else who's, you know, sworn loyalty to Trump in some Mm -hmm. creepy way. And they're going to continue on for the next, you know, however many years, uh, just going, jumping from lie to lie. And I mean, (laughs) I guess we have to ask ourselves, is a guy who knew about spousal, you know, domestic abuse and did nothing uh, or did the opposite of nothing uh, better than what comes next? Maybe it's a guy who, 
you know, condone sleeping with leopards, or maybe it's a, you know, maybe it, it's Kim Jong-un's sister, you know, who knows who he could put in there next. Maybe we have to stick with who we have now, with the known evil. Right. But it's very alarming. Yeah. As a, as a uh, filmmaker and uh, as someone who has a sense of humor, thank God, um, what element of this administration makes a good film? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I mean, it depends. If, uh, if you're producing Triumph of the Wills, then probably all of it. Uh, right. But if you're, if you're sort of working on your Trump documentary right now, I think you're going to have to you're going to have to really uh do a, a deep dive on one particular thing uh because you could really, you know, throw a smorgasbord of uh complaints or abuses out there and I think the message won't be as strong versus someone who really hones and focuses on one thing that Trump has done that is just, you know, <laughs> you know, the lowest of the low uh that it, maybe it's the collusion or maybe it's you know the the women that he's abused just one thing they have to focus i think that's that would be my best take on how to make an interesting trump documentary because i'm sure there will be these kind of montages at the end of his presidency uh, both positive and negative that kind of mm -hmm. you know jump from the scandal to scandal to scandal but i think the the success of a film about trump would be really focused and in depth uh, on something he did that was, you know, particularly terrible. You know, for me, it would be Mike Pence and <laughs> how and how he has been allowed because we have a president who chooses not to get deep into policy. <laughs> That's an understatement. I'm being polite here. Um, <laughs> Even uh, the guy doesn't read his briefs. Right, exactly. Then we want to hear them. Um, Anyway, Pence has kind of floated about and has, in many ways, been able to dismantle a lot of things, specifically those in um, women's health, women's reproductive rights, the LGBTQ yeah. community, um, pretty much anybody that isn't aligned with him in a religious standpoint, um, he's been able to really uh, do some serious damage uh, to social norms and areas where, uh, you know, we were inclusive before, we're not so inclusive anymore. And as a yeah. matter of fact, hate crimes in um, in 2017 were up significantly and incredibly way up in uh, in things going against the LGBTQ community as well as uh, women. So that's not exactly a lot to hang your hat on, but uh, I would, I think that the shadow presidency of Mike Pence might be, um, you know, the next Netflix thriller. I'm not quite sure about that. But. <laughs> you know, I went to uh, Write Online, which is a uh, conservative uh, conference, you know, uh, held in, I think, in Vegas uh, every year. Uh, this was back when I was filming a documentary called Evocateur, the Morton Downey Jr. movie. 
which mm-hmm. was you know about a, a political demagogue talk show host that I'm sure Jim you were familiar with back in the yep. 80s uh, and we decided let's go to write online to see what the future of demagoguery looks like in the broadcast internet space. And, you know, on the card there was, well, one guy was Curtis Sliwa, who was, you know, a, a frequent guest uh, on the Morton Downey Jr., the head of the Guardian Angels. But then you had, you know, Judge Napolitano from Fox News. You had Herman Cain, who at the time was, you know, big thing, in Michelle Bachman, and Mike Pence, who was a congressman. So we went to hear Mike speak, and he gave, you know, an hour-long very, very folksy, you know, Reagan-esque speech uh, that didn't come out and say, you know, I'm going to make your gay family members pray away their gay or, you know, tie your, your daughter's legs together so she can't have an abortion, but instead gave these sort of folksy stories about, you know, when I was in the woods and we were hunting and we found, uh, you know, the shed and we shot the bear and we, you know, that this kind of like, you know, these stories that sort of kind of push this, you know, America first thing, but not a direct sort of, you know, a reveal of what his policies are. Uh, but I remember remarking to my fellow filmmaker, filmmakers, Seth and Dan, like, wow, this guy's like, look out, this guy's going to be the president someday. And then we, we tried to get an interview with him afterwards, and I walked up to him, and I said, you know, uh, Congressman Pence, we'd like to talk to you about, you know, conservative talk and uh, in radio and on TV, and he went a-running. So he was already, you know, carefully avoiding, uh, you know, the press, which is sort of the playbook these days. Just go on the sort of friendly media of, you know, Fox News or or Breitbart with your story. Uh, But when he was chosen uh, as the VP, it was clear that, you know, he fills that evangelical connection uh, for Trump's, you know, base that they don't care if Trump is the opposite of everything they've ever preached. They're standing by as long as he can help push policies that make gay marriage, you know, illegal and don't force a a baker to have to bake a a homosexual cake, uh, whatever that is, and on and on and on. Uh, I agree with you that it's really scary because he he seems to be an empty vessel that's just, you know, you put him in the direction of this, this, you know, crusader mission and he'll, he'll speak to it, you know, whether they send him to Israel or whether he's, you know, on a mission to the Olympics, you know, you know (laughs) that it's, there'll never be like a reckoning with him. It's just going to be him, you know, pushing forward. Clearly that guy wants to be the president of the United States. Uh, And, you know, if there's any justice in this world, he won't be. Right. Jeremy, um, one of the things, I didn't get your take on the parade. I thought that was, <laughs> I was it was kind of interesting to me. It was like, really? Now? A parade, okay. Um, I had a good uh, a sort of tweet thread out there where I, yeah. I, I, I reimagined the parade as the like Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade with like Matt Lauer, you know, giving you these interesting facts about... I saw that. That was great. Okay. That is my take on the parade. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, Kim Jong-un style, 
you know, rockets wheeling through, you know, Pennsylvania Avenue. It's ridiculous. It's a farce. It's not what we should be doing. And I think it might have backfired because as early as or as recent as today, I heard the guy that actually like killed Osama bin Laden is saying Mm -hmm. a parade. Screw that. That's a terrible idea. You know, so if he was trying to like further gin up the military loving base of his, he went the wrong direction. Yeah. No question. I mean, I love the military. Uh, I, I love cops, the military. I think it's okay for liberals to love cops and the military, even the FBI. I got a lot of guff from, I think, like what must be the Antifa Twitter uh, for making a comment about the FBI when when Trump was, you know, throwing them under the bus. But uh, I guess I'm a, a more moderate <clears throat> liberal who believes that, you know, I have kids, they go to school, I have a wife and a house, and I, I want the country to run as it should run. And, you know, I think there's reform for those organizations that's definitely necessary, you know, police for sure, and uh, there should be accountability. But I believe that those agencies are there for a purpose. So dismantling them is far from what I think should happen. Uh, but I, I like how all of a sudden these are easily attacked by Trump uh, when it suits some sort of story or narrative. Well, I thought the deep state routine, I mean, it's just an alternate universe where the Republicans are saying that the FBI is liberal and, and helping the Democrats. Um, That, that, that's, you know, there's not a shred of evidence in history that proves that to be right. Right. Of course. So when I say I like the military, it's like, yeah, I like the military because when we get into conflicts with other countries, they go out and sacrifice and put their life on the line. However, it does not mean that I believe uh, that the entire budget of the United States should be spent on the military, nor do I believe we should be having huge military parades down Main Street. It's just not what we do. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you, Jeremy, from your standpoint as someone who has been very adept on Twitter – um, what are you seeing? What's the, I mean, I know my take on this. I'll, I'm not going to shade you on that, but the point to me is it's become politics and, and people who follow politics are always on Twitter and they always have a take. And it's, it's very difficult at times to get through to people. Your, what are your thoughts on, on Twitter and as a, um, a place to go to talk about politics. Well, I love Twitter as a, a way to sort of share thoughts and opinions and mm-hmm. uh, tag, you know, those you're talking about or hashtag into a discussion. I love that. I love the exchange of ideas. Um, there are people you will find on Twitter who have a single viewpoint and there's no turn in them. Uh, mm-hmm. There, There are others who... If you dig deeper than the headline, you'll find yourself finding some common ground and, you know, agreeing to disagree. And that, that's probably mm-hmm. what America is, you know, really based on because we, you know, we've been a successful country for a hundred, couple hundred years, you know, and people have had different opinions. Um, so I kind of, you know, I like to get involved in the, in the news of the day and it allows mm-hmm. me to, to, to write the satire that I enjoy writing. Uh, which is really a hobby. I mean, I am a filmmaker by trade. Uh, mm-hmm. And then on Twitter, it's like a hobby to be satirical and sort of mix it up. But 
I think that I think that there are those you will find on Twitter with different viewpoint than your own, but you'll find some common ground and then mm-hmm. you'll want to follow them. Like, you know, there are uh, conservative voices on Twitter that mm-hmm. I absolutely, you know, like their take on things that I'm reading. And there are liberal voices the same. And I think it goes both ways. And then there's, you know, fake Twitter Russian troll accounts that just want to, you know, shit stir as it's called. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I think it's like, um, I find it a lot more enjoyable than Facebook, and that's probably mm-hmm. because my family's not on Twitter, you know. So it's like, uh, yeah. it's like it's having a your lot mom sitting. More the... you get away with it. Yeah, it's like having your mom sit in the front row at your like comedy gig, you know, right. <laughs> saying that's not nice, you know. So I like Twitter uh, for that exchange, the free flow exchange of ideas, and uh, I do like to hear differing opinions from my own. And you know, mm-hmm. I'm probably wrong sometimes. And it, it, if you can accept that you're wrong sometimes, I think you're mm-hmm. you're winning. You're winning oh. on Twitter. Absolutely, absolutely. Thoughts on DACA? You think that um, that uh, we'll get a uh, some sort of uh, bill that people can live with? I I hope so. I mean, I've been an advocate. I've been an advocate for Dreamers for a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. I know there's a nonprofit. Uh, in a neighboring town uh, where I live that invites, uh, not, you know, undocumented workers uh, so they can be hired, uh, you know, through lottery for yard work and that kind of thing uh, and uses, you know, uh, their resources to train them in English and to help them find work and, you know, uh, file paperwork. Uh, th- there are undocumented people living in our country, <laughs> and mm-hmm. there are some who came here illegally, and there are some who were brought here, which is, you know, as kids, which is not illegally. That's just, mm-hmm. it's just not. And I feel for uh, every single one of them, I, they're not, I mean, there's such a campaign by the president to paint these people as murderers and rapists, and I mean, you could tell from just, the second one of these people uh, is a criminal and does something wrong, mm-hmm. the president can't tweet that fast enough. Just like mm-hmm. the uh, the drunk driver who who killed the NFL player mm-hmm. uh, the night of the Super Bowl, the day after. You know, the president couldn't tweet that quick enough. And that's just like a, a campaign to paint all of undocumented people in the same with the same brush. And it's just not. They're hardworking people. They do jobs that a lot of Americans don't want to do. They join the military. <laughs> they are, you know, productive members of society. Uh, and I, I hope that there's a deal. It's hard to imagine that kind of a deal being struck under the Trump administration. You know, someone whose very first day out was to call Mexicans, you know, murderers and rapists. It would be, you know, he would have to appoint, you know, a dreamer to his next chief of staff. For, for that to happen, it just seems impossible. I think we're going to have to wait it out through his uh, uh, organization, and, and I, we're going to have to start like building Anne Frank houses for the undocumented people that we know, you know, to hide them from his ICE, you know, militarized ICE army that's starting to pick up people like you know, forty-year living American doctors or people who were brought yeah. here when they were two. Uh, a terrible reality, but I don't think there'll be a DACA deal under Donald Trump. 
Well, the funny thing is, I think that they can come to an agreement in the Senate. I think the problem is the House. Well, um, when you have congressmen, like, I mean, geez, there's there's one guy running for Congress who's, you know, who listed me as a, a, a Jew on Twitter, you know, he's like a, a Nazi. Mm-hmm. There's another guy who's running who is a Nazi. You've got the the uh, Matt Gitz from Florida, a congressman who brought mm-hmm. a Holocaust denier to the State of the Union. Uh, I think there's there's a problem in the Congress with <laughs> the pool of people that they're bringing in to be congressmen seems to be anti-DACA and that maybe even like, you know, anti-Semitic and, you know, racist. So it, it's hard to imagine the Congress doing anything with DACA well, other than, you yep. know, deporting DACA. Right. Letting it, letting it, uh, letting it sunset, which it would be uh, in March. So right. and it'll be past the March 22nd date. So we'll see. Jeremy, tell us about your uh, documentary film, which uh, you're going to be flying out later today to, uh, to show down in Atlanta. Oh, sure. My latest documentary is called Heading Home, The Tale of Team Israel. And it is about uh, Israel's baseball team that played in the World Baseball Classic this uh, past March. Uh, they were a Cinderella story of the World Baseball Classic. And I uh, lucked into uh, having access to them uh, just by the nature of having a a friend of mine from like Jewish sleepaway camp uh, Mm -hmm. is a writer for Major League Baseball. And he said, hey, let's let's work together. Let's do a film about all the Jews in Major League Baseball. And, you know, we went out and we interviewed a bunch of them uh, and uh, no one wanted that film. And then while it was sort of shelved and in the can, uh, the same fellas were joined the Israeli baseball team. They were all American, you know, minor leaguers, a few mm-hmm. guys who were in the majors, uh, and they were allowed to play for Israel by the, you know, law of return. They have mm-hmm. to have one Jewish grandparent. Mm-hmm. And they qualified for the first time in the history of Israel in Brooklyn in the World Baseball Classic qualifier. And right. I had a front row seat to their crazy wild Cinderella run uh, that ended in Japan uh, and included a trip to Israel with with some of the teams. And I, I think people really will like the film. It premieres at the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival tomorrow, and then we'll go on for a festival run before it ends up in theaters near you. Cool. So um, there's a very good chance that no matter where you are, eventually, not too distant future, you're going to have an opportunity to see the film uh, at film festivals and eventually, hopefully, on the big screen. Yes. That cool. is the plan. Well, we always like plans. Plans are good. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. We're going to have you back. You can't oh, get away from us. Anytime, Jim. Okay, buddy. Hang on here. All right. Thanks a lot for joining us. Excellent. Let's step aside for a second. You know, I want to tell you about a podcast that you need to add to your collection, along with the Politically Incorrect podcast. It's called... Deep Dish from Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Now, we know, since you listen to our podcast, that you're very politically savvy. But you need to subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs. Deep Dish is a weekly podcast that goes beyond the headlines on critical global issues. Each week, Deep Dish serves up fresh guests to help you digest what's going on around the world. Now, just like us, 
They have the top name guests. They have people like a NATO ambassador who explained the Russian aggression. A Navy admiral who charts the competition in the South China Sea. A former White House economist who breaks down NAFTA negotiations. And a Korea expert who analyzes the nuclear threat from North Korea. Now, we want you to subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs. They have the hottest intel, and it's delivered right to you each week. So take the time to go and to subscribe to Deep Dish on Global Affairs. That's Deep Dish on Global Affairs. You like our podcast, you'll love this one too, okay? Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. If you have not yet subscribed to us, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, we're free and it's easy to get. Go to the iTunes store. We're part of the Apple Podcast Group. How about Google Play? Easy enough there. Blog Talk Radio. We're on the Stitcher app along with another, a bunch of wonderful, outstanding podcasts. And if you're one of the 127 million people, myself included, who have downloaded the TuneIn app on either your tablet or your phone or both, all you have to do is search the Politically Incorrect Podcast Hit favorites on your favorite button, and each week you'll get our podcast sent directly to your tablet or to your phone or to both, okay? So go out, please, and do it today. Again, many thanks to our special guest today, Jeremy. Jeremy Newberger. Jeremy can be found on Twitter at Jeremy Newberger. He is a must-follow on Twitter. He's a funny guy, political satirist, and also a wonderful documentary film producer, so by all means, follow him on Twitter, and we'll have him back soon. Next week, we're going to be talking about immigration and DACA. Our guest is going to be one of our all-time best friends and buddies, Alan J. Steinberg, former member of the George W. Bush administration, and somebody who knows a great deal about immigration. So tune in next time for Alan J. Steinberg. Always a fun conversation with him. Until next week, I'm Jim Williams for the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Have a safe and wonderful weekend. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.